the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, y'all, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology, and welcome once again to 2022. We're here. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're discovering what the Scripture teaches regarding theological topics. Our goal is to always put those theological cookies on the bottom shelf where we can all reach them. And of course, we try to do this in ways that are very applicable to the lives we live, because the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. We do this because we agree with what pastor and author D. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, The end of all doctrine is to lead to the knowledge of God and the worship of God. And we want to help you do just that, to become a good theologian who knows, understands, and can discuss the doctrines of the Bible. And we want to help you to become strong in your faith, knowledgeable in and of the Word, and growing in your love for Jesus. Today's podcast is our fourth episode in a series on the end times. And as a reminder, the doctrine of the end times is also called the doctrine of eschatology. Pastor Jeff, what are we talking about here today? Well, hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. We're going to continue where we left off last time, and we'll be continuing our study in the Tribulation. Some of it we'll circle back on, just as a refresher. And why don't we begin, Jen, by you reminding us quickly of what the Tribulation is. Sure. Well, as we learned last time, the Tribulation is the seven-year time period in the end times in which humanity's decadence and depravity will reach its fullness, all while being led by the Antichrist, or who we discovered last time, the beast, who will be under the power and influence of Satan himself. But eventually, at the close of the seven-year period, God will judge accordingly. And then that leads us to the second coming of Christ, which kicks off his millennial well, you you did it. You got Woo! it all. You got it all. Out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and starting next podcast, we'll begin to talk about that millennial reign. Mm. Last time we ended with talking about the beast or the antichrist, and I thought on this episode we'd stay with the tribulation and talk about its beginning, its nature, and its purposes. And we touched on purposes last time. Today we'll dive just a little bit deeper in you know the why of it all. Sure. So what actually happens to begin that seven-year tribulation period? Is there an event, a series of events? Are we going to hear another trumpet? What is it? (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, (laughs) Again, I think it's really important that we all, if if you're going to understand the tribulation, you have to understand that the major player in the tribulation is the nation of Israel. Remember, the church will be gone. So God turns to his people, Israel. So much, if not all, the tribulation concerns Israel. When Jesus details the events of the tribulation to his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25, he explained what would happen to the nation of Israel. And what we know of this regarding the beginning of the tribulation is that it will begin with the signing of a covenant by the beast, the Antichrist, who promises to protect Israel. Mm-hmm. When that happens, you know that that begins the tribulation period. Daniel 9.27 tells us, and he will confirm, that's the Antichrist, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week, 
That's the seven-year tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, the week being referred to here is the 70th week of Daniel. We covered that last podcast. It probably got a little bit muddled, but we, we came to realize 69 of the 70 weeks have happened. They've occurred. Those prophecies have been fulfilled. There's one week left, and that's the tribulation, that seven-year period. So you're saying the signing of what we refer to as a protective covenant, right. where the beast promises to protect Israel, begins the tribulation, not the rapture of the church? Because I think I mentioned this last time, I've always thought that when the rapture occurs, that that kicks off the tribulation. Yeah, this is this is where this always gets a little bit difficult sticky, sometimes. Muddy. It gets a little sticky, it gets a little <laughs> muddy. Technically, the rapture does not begin the tribulation, technically. Because there may be a brief period of time between the rapture of the church and the signing of that covenant. We we don't know about all of that. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that with any surety. When the church is raptured, will that immediately, that second, will that begin the tribulation? But, well, we don't exactly know, but we do know that that covenant is going to have to be signed between the nation of Israel and this one who turns out to be the Antichrist. The tribulation, as we've talked about, will involve God's judgment on an unbelieving world. We're told all about that in Revelation 6 through 19, and there we see talking about what happens during that week, where we see consecutive series of seals, trumpets, bowls, judgments, and they all detail God's judgments upon unbelievers. And all of that climaxes in the triumphant return of Christ to earth with his bride, the church, and that's the second coming. And boy, as a side note, has pop culture gotten that wrong? I've seen so many movies... And different iterations of all of those different things and what that's going to look like. Well, you mentioned the judgments a moment ago, and they all say something about the nature of the tribulation, do they not? What's going to be occurring here on earth during those seven years? Well, we've already established that the tribulation is a time where God pours out his wrath on an unbelieving world. The Bible tells us that time is going to be a time of punishment, a time of trouble a time of great destruction, a time of desolation, and a time of judgment. And all of that will be unleashed, again, upon the unbelieving world by God. So, if the church is the bride of Christ, the object of God's love, again, how could she be present during the tribulation? I, that, I think, is another argument for the, for the rapture. You know, we're, we're told we're saved from the wrath of God. I personally don't think the church is going to be here for the tribulation, because it's going to be a time where God is pouring out his wrath uh, on an unbelieving world. Is it but okay as, to hope that that's the case? <laughs> I, I think, you know, I had a professor tell me one time, pray for pre-tribulation, expect post-tribulation. They, he expected oh. <laughs> the church to go through. And the, the proponents of people who believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation the, one of the main reasons for that, they say, is that God is going to purge the mm. church. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of that purging time, there will be a true purified church that Jesus will come back for at the second coming. 
Well, with all of this taking place, and we touched on this in the last podcast, but we want to dive a little bit deeper today. What, again, is the purpose or purposes of the tribulation? Why does all of this have to take place? Again, we go back to this is all keying in on Israel. And the greatest, I think, the initial greatest purpose of the tribulation is to bring about the conversion of Israel, that the people of Israel will return to God. And, and that's going to be accomplished through God's disciplinary dealing with his people. Secondarily, during that time, God's going to judge unbelieving people and unbelieving nations. And we read about that in both the Old and the New Testament. And I know there's some other reasons the Bible tells us about, and some of these will have a great effect upon us as believers, right? How about telling us about those? Well, during that tribulation period, and if you hold to a pre-tribulation view, this, this will happen, this will not happen on earth, but sometime during that tribulation period, believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm. So, well, th- th- this is not, let's be clear here, this is not a judgment concerning eternal destiny, but it's a judgment rewarding church-age believers for their faithfulness. So the purpose of this judgment will be to reward Christians for deeds that they've done, whether they were good or whether they are worthless. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive his due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Well, as believers, then, we will face a judgment, but it's not the one that deals with our eternal security, right? We're being judged based on our works then. This has point. nothing to do with salvation. When you come to faith in Christ, your salvation, that's, that's decided. I think you, people you, mix that up a lot, People though. mix this yeah. up an awful lot. I meet a lot of Christians who, when we talk about this sort of thing, think still think that although I'm a Christian, I still don't know if I'm going to get into heaven. I'm still going to have to go through this judgment, and I'm, I'm hoping that I pass. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all for the believer. That, that, that decision has already been made, but God has brought you into his family through the blood of Christ, which has been appropriated in your life. But what, what we as believers will be judged on is, okay, what did you do for Christ after you came to faith in him? Mm. And elsewhere we read that Paul said those those good works, now the good works don't get us into heaven, but it's the things that we've done for the kingdom of God since salvation. And he says they'll go through a fire, and some will be like wood, hay, and stubble. It will burn up. Others will come through the fire, and it will be purified gold. So that's that's that that's going to occur sometime during that seven-year tribulation period. Okay, the two purposes that we have learned regarding the tribulation is the salvation of Israel and the judgment of believers. What other purposes are there? What other things take place during that tribulation? Well, the there there's a huge event and it's called the marriage supper of the lamb which takes place in heaven. And we know from Revelation 19.7 that when Christ returns with his bride, the church, that marriage has already taken place, and that will involve every believer. So sometime during that tribulation period in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to occur. Additionally, as the tribulation draws to a close at its culmination, Christ will return physically to earth 
to render judgment and to inaugurate the millennial kingdom. The Old Testament, the tribulation saints who have died will be raised at that time to inherit the kingdom. At his second coming, Jesus will judge Jews and Gentiles. He teaches us in Matthew 25 that the Jews will be judged on the basis of their preparedness for his return and their faithfulness as stewards of the word of God. We read that saved Jews will enter the millennial kingdom while the unsaved will be cast into the outer darkness. Mm -hmm. Unbelieving Gentiles, they're going to be judged in a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, also known as the Kidron Valley, K-I-D-R-O-N. You can go visit the Kidron Valley today. And that will largely be predicated upon their treatment of the Jews, their judgment. For Gentiles who have indicated their belief in Jesus, they will inherit the new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ as well, while the, other, the, the others, the unbelieving Gentiles, will be turned away into everlasting punishment. Okay, so that, that clears that up a little bit. Just before we sign off today, I wonder if you might give us a little bit more information about the one referred to as the beast. We said we'd get back to that today. Circling back to that, the beast or the Antichrist, what exactly is it that we really need to know about this figure or figures? So you just want me to throw a few things out about the temporary satanic ruler of the world as we sign off in Yep, just one throw minute. it out there. <laughs> just I'll, I'll start the countdown and go. <laughs> well, well, I'll have you start by reading 1 John 2.18 for us. Sure. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So he's coming. We know that. And many Antichrists Many Antichrists have come, but not the Antichrist. The specific term Antichrist is used, it's only used five times in Scripture. Twice here in 1 John 2.18, just twice in one verse, and once in 1 John 2, once in 1 John 4, and once in 2 John. So what is this Antichrist that John is the one who talks about him the most? The meaning of the term Antichrist is simply against Christ. We probably could have figured that out. Well, I'm going to stop you right there, because in looking at this, that makes sense, against Christ. But Antichrist also, to me, is the interpretation of someone who is the exact opposite of Christ himself. So that's kind of, those get blurry in my head a little bit. in, In nature, absolutely. From an outside point of view, he's going to appear very much like Christ, because he's going to raise from the dead. He's going to Thus, declare a, that people worship him. A wound that right. he recovers from. He's okay. going to make a an idol of himself, and people are going to worship it. He counterfeits Christ at every turn. So in that sense, he's the Antichrist. Gotcha. And many, many, many people will be fooled thinking he is the real, the real Christ. I like that term, counterfeits Christ, because he is a counterfeit Christ yeah. and then counteracts everything. Right. That Okay, gotcha. Well, you have the dragon Satan in, in Revelation counterfeiting God. You have the Antichrist mm-hmm. in Revelation counterfeiting Christ. Gotcha, gotcha. So we know the meaning of the term. Go on. Well, what we do know about the Antichrist, and again, the nature is completely opposite, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. He will deny the Father and the Son. He does not acknowledge Jesus. 
He denies that Jesus came in the flesh. There, there have been, as John said, many antichrists, but there is also coming the antichrist. Mm-hmm. There's been many like lowercase a antichrists. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the uppercase a antichrist, and that's who we're talking about. Most Bible prophecy, most eschatology experts believe that the antichrist will be the ultimate embodiment of what it of, of what it really means to be against Christ. Mm-hmm. So in the end times. And it's going to be a man. A man will arise to oppose Christ and his followers more than anyone else in history. And he's going to go hard against Israel. He's going to make Hitler look like absolutely nothing. Hmm. He's likely claiming to be the true Messiah. And he's going to seek world domination. And he will attempt to destroy all followers of Christ. And he will attempt to destroy the nation of Israel. Here's a few things we know about him from Scripture, and we'll, we'll close with some of this. He is the imposing, boastful king of Daniel 7. He opposes the Jews. And verse 25 says he tries to change the set times and the laws. Next, he's the leader who establishes a seven-year covenant with Israel, and then he breaks it. Mm-hmm. Next, he's the king who sets up an abomination of desolation. We read about that in Mark and in Daniel. He's called the man of lawlessness. He is in Revelation 6-2, the rider on a white horse, and here he comes representing his claim to be a man of peace. He is the, we said last podcast, there's two beasts. Mm-hmm. The first one comes from the sea. He, this is him. He receives power from the dragon, that's Satan, speaking proud words and blasphemies, says verse 5 of Revelation 13. He wages wars against the saints, Revelation 13-7. He will display miraculous powers. He will come back to life. Revelation 13 says it will be, quote, ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And and what a feat that will cause many to be motivated by the sight of this fatal wound that had been healed, so much so that many will turn to worship him. He will be like more than a human. He will be otherworldly. He, he will be pretty amazing. Revelation 13 also says he will control the world's economy. We read this. He forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And we know that number to be 666. Mm. He will claim to be God. He will demand to be worshipped as God. Now, thankfully, the Antichrist, along with, and he has a false prophet who kind of goes along with him. And by the way, he's talking about the dragon Satan counterfeiting God, the Antichrist counterfeiting Christ. The false prophet is counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. And so he and the false prophet ultimately and thankfully will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will spend all eternity in torment. And taking all of that into account, then we can say that the Antichrist is the end times false messiah who seeks and likely achieves world domination so that he can destroy Israel and then all followers of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. However, he fails because Christ returns and defeats him. And we know that that is where the victory is found. Yep. And then he's he's taken care of for all eternity. Mm as are we. 
As are we, but we're not going where he's going. <laughs> we're in the opposite direction. We're going in the other way. Yeah, we're going the other where way. Where it's a whole lot cooler. <laughs> Well, what a heavy topic we have chosen through Pastor Jeff's direction to explore over these last four podcasts, and we appreciate you joining us along the way. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and this series, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And while you're there, please consider leaving a review, which will help other people find out about Kitchen Table Theology. And head over to jeffcranston.com for all of our previous episodes, and always check out each episode's show notes right there where you listen from. And next podcast, unless the rapture happens... Unless it does. We'll start talking about the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ, and we'll kick that off with talking about the second coming. What happens at the second coming when Jesus appears? Because that kicks off all sorts of... uh, earth-shattering events. I bet there's going to be a trumpet. Yeah. You, God doesn't do much without trumpets. Maybe you should bring one and blow it. You, on I'll the... bring my trumpet. You bring your... Uh, <laughs> would you play the clarinet or the flute? I have the flute. You were a flautist. I do have an auto harp. I wonder if we can yeah, make no, that. That's... Yeah, that's maybe, not going to work, maybe is we'll it? just read the Bible. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so, which is what we like to do here. And we also like to say thanks. So we're going to say thanks to our sound engineer, Anna Snowenstra, and to Low Country Community Church, our home church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you, Kitchen Table Theologians, for your support, questions, and your encouragement along the way, as we remember the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.